Well, welcome to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan and Dave. Hey! <laughs> we are obviously very excited uh, to have you guys with us. This is our very first uh, video podcast, uh, and we have with us David Tavares from KEF. Thank you very much for being with us. My pleasure, gentlemen, and congratulations to both of you. Uh, I've been listening, and what you guys are doing with this podcast is absolutely awesome and catching a lot of attention in the industry, so kudos to you two. Thank you, thank very, you very much. Thank That's you, awesome. thank you. Uh, so uh, I figure you work for a speaker brand. Do I? So it may be a good idea <laughs> for us to talk a little bit about speakers today. Sure. Uh, and uh, some of the things I was hoping that we would be able to hit is uh, just a little bit of an overview on speakers. So maybe we start with like some of the different categories, some of the different options that people have uh, when they're thinking about doing speakers. And then I also was hoping that we could kind of highlight some of the things that Kef does that's so unique. Because quite honestly, I love Kef. And I'm not supposed to say that, and it's not that I don't like the other <laughs> brands, um, but uh, you know, when I first started in the industry, I was listening to a lot of hi-fi speakers, and I have a pro audio background. So my view and my expectation of what a speaker should be, uh, I mean, I had a very, very, very high threshold, and Mark will n remember. <laughs> I do. I do remember. <laughs> Before we, uh, we really got into uh, some of the things that uh, our location had sold... We were kind of limited in our assortment. Sure. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest, I'd walk into that room and they're like, you should listen to these great speakers. And I'm going, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And even before we were we, we were a Kef dealer, like we had some great options available to us and there was no pleasing Dan. It I, was just, yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're okay. They're fine. You know? Yep. So my snootiness is, is going to kind of come to the surface. <laughs> That's okay. And uh, I want to tell you, everybody, that uh, when we picked up Kef, um, I was just through the moon because finally I had speakers that I could sell that <laughs> sounded like what I wanted them to sound like. Um, so I'm actually going to kick it over to Mark real quick. Okay. Could you start maybe with telling us a little bit about uh, the speaker categories? You know, like what are the options when you're thinking about putting a speaker in a space, be it for stereo or for surround sound. Sure. Um, and maybe let's, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a millions of different options out there. And a lot of times when uh, a client will walk into our space, it can seem a little overwhelming. So I always use that, that easy question of like, hey, how do you want your sound to look? Um, and, you know, the first time I heard that, it was kind of like, unlocking that, you know, or, or breaking the fourth wall, so to speak, in my brain, like, oh my gosh, like, why why am I worried about what it's going to sound like if they don't like how it looks, right? So being able to talk about, you know, do you want a speaker that's going to disappear into the space? Do you want something that's kind of medium size or large? Um, that was huge for us, or for, for me in particular. Um, so you have... With that, you have an in-wall speaker, which, you know, essentially disappears into the space. You have a medium size, like a bookshelf speaker, and then you have a large speaker, floor standing speaker. Um, and those are typically the, the three options that you see or that we'll offer in most cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Dave, when you guys start approaching, let's say, a tower speaker, um, how do you guys at KEF really think through that process? Do you have 
like a specific design intent? Do you have kind of a purpose or uh, a philosophy that you guys try and adhere to? Or is it, you know, throw it at the wall and see what sticks? Or <laughs> well, what's interesting about Kef, and I've learned now being there for four years, that a lot of the product that we make is is truly a trickle-down technology from some of our flagship product and blades and reference and things like that. A lot of times, so now, you know, maybe we'll get into a little bit more conversation about it, but specifically the meta material, right? Uh, first came out in, in reference and then blades and and now is over into our series. We're not gonna limit that core piece of technology that we use in some of our upper, upper echelon product and, and not provide it to people in a, in a value price point thing. So I, it all starts with new material going into our flagship product and ultimately trickling down to other things throughout the line. So uh, just to translate, what you put in the really, really, really nice stuff is what you put in the very accessible stuff. Correct. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Yes. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, so in the uh, tower speaker world, um, what are some of the the lines that you guys carry, and uh, what are some of the things? I know we've kind of mentioned blades. Sure. I know we've you know mentioned uh, reference series. Uh, what was the difference between those two? Like, it, I we talked about how do you want your sound to look. They have a very different aesthetic. 100%. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, the thought process behind uh, those two lines? Well, well, the genesis of Blade was really simply this thought, right? If we can take, which is our core technology and what we use in 99% of the product that we make, which is UniQ, if we could take that to the furthest extent, what would that product look like? And in Blade, that is, you know, having the the UniQ and the acoustic center of the two sets of woofers that we use with that. And it was just meant to be a concept. It was shown at a, at a, a German audio show many, many, many years ago. And just like any of any of these products that get shown off and say, hey, this is just a conceptual idea, something that we think is pretty cool. You know, we have no plans of manufacturing it. All of a sudden, it, you know, took off like wildfire. People wanted to buy it. And so, you know, the engineers had to go back and go, okay, how do we make this for, for the masses? And it's been a highly successful speaker for us. That's awesome. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. awesome. So the UniQ, uh, could you maybe talk us a little bit about what does that do for a speaker design in a space? What's what's kind of the the, the purpose behind that? Because it's a coaxial design, right? Correct. Yes. So your, your tweeter is inside the mid-range, um, but you guys do some really weird things with that tweeter, and weird in a good way. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole thought process behind it, right, versus using a, a traditional tweeter on top or Diapolito-type design as it relates to that, is that there's a single apparent source of where sound is firing from, right? So all of our engineers look back and they think of things like, uh, for example, like the human voice, right? There's a single point of space where all sound, regardless of whether it's high frequencies, mid frequencies, low frequencies, hopefully I've, I've got a little bit more of low frequencies yeah. here. But, um, <laughs> it's all coming from a single apparent, you know, space and point, right? right. Same thing with if you look at a, an acoustic guitar, right? You look at the body or what's called, I think it's actually called the sound hole of an acoustic guitar, right? That's typically where that sound is firing. <laughs> and so what we try to do in any of our designs is have that, you know, that point in space where all the sound is firing from. So it's not easy to do. There's a lot of technology that comes into play. And, and frankly, some of the early renditions of the UniQ were good, but they weren't great. If you don't mind me asking, is that like a two or three year cycle? Is that like a five year cycle or it's just varied throughout the year? It's just varied. I think once a new product is introduced or for example, a new tech that's introduced to the product, I think it's an opportunity for our engineers to go fresh again. Hey, let's see what we can improve. We know that this was an issue with UniQ in the past. 
with the addition of this new technology, can I tweak it and make it better? Interesting. Kef, frankly, doesn't ever rest on its laurels, right? You know, I hear a lot of time in the industry, uh, what's new with the new series? Oh, we've, we've changed the crossover. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Cool. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> so do we, like, you know, but um, – but no, they they go really kind of ground up and uh, try to figure out how they can make slight improvements on really everything that they're doing with the new design. Awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. very cool. Well, so I think we should kind of call out, let's go to uh, the home environment because a lot of what we do really is uh, in that residential space. We do some pro audio, um, but there's a lot more high-end residential. And so when we kind of focus on uh, what that looks like, let's say that I want to put together a theater um, and I do want my speakers to kind of disappear a little bit. I want to have a better aesthetic, uh, driven theater. Um, what series of Kef speakers would you take me to? My gosh. I mean, if at all possible, I'd take you to our reference series product, right? I think we're one of the few brands out there that really, truly offer a kind of a high performance, hi-fi in wall or in ceiling solution. Um, you know, there, there isn't, there's kind of an industry standing under uh, industry understanding, if you will, that if, once you go to an in wall or in ceiling solution, that performance is lost just by the nature of the product that's there. Sure, uh, we don't accept that. Um, you know, our reference product that we make is hand built by the same gentleman who built things like blades and reference in the UK, and they're arguably 95, 98 percent of what a traditional box speaker sounds like. So, if we're trying to get a box type performance out of an in wall speaker, it would be a hundred percent reference series. Yep. And I'm glad you took us that direction. And I've had a chance to listen to them. When you're in a space that is dedicated, and what I mean by that is you've got a screen or a, a dedicated uh, a video uh, wall or something along those lines, and the whole purpose of that space is really just I want to watch movies, I want to play games, I want to watch sports, and I want the best I can possibly get. Um, it it's it's amazing how the sound kind of disperses in a wide and even way. And that's probably the thing that I really like about Kef more than anything else is that that dispersion like is so different than everything else that everybody else seems to do. Uh, and I have this, this this conversation with folks all the time. It's like, you know, I don't want to redesign a room. No. If I can avoid it, right? I have mm -hmm. to work with the space that I've got. So how do I make sure that my uh, speaker is going to sound the way that I want it to, even if I have to be, what, six inches that way oh, or a foot true. that way or mm -hmm. something like so? Well, and if you recall, like uh, I have that project uh, pretty close to our location that he has the 5160 THXs. Yep. And there are five of them. And that was the third rendition of that room. Right. He had another manufacturer speakers in there prior, both mid-tier and high-tier series from another manufacturer. And the sound would just get lost because he has a big open wall on one side and it would just get lost into the rest of the house. And he wanted something that was going to give him a little bit more of that directed experience. And he... I mean, he loves them. If he, he today, if I told him, hey, we'll let you re re exchange anything to upgrade to something better, he would exchange everything but those speakers. Right. Yep. Uh, on that note, too, what's interesting to me is, you know, you talked about dispersion, is I always think of, 
you know, for a theater system, I always think of the Dolby Atmos channels, right? And mm-hmm. having that wide dispersion when you're talking about two to four to six channels that you're using for, for Dolby Atmos. It, it's not often that I see people, you know, I do see it happen. I'd obviously like to see it more, but for me, it feels like regardless of what you chose for your kind of linear soundstage, the Kev is the best option for Dolby Atmos. If you're trying to get dispersion and get better coverage onto multiple areas of seating there, I mean, even to the point Dolby Laboratories today uses Kev in-sealing product for their, really? for their Atmos. Absolutely, yeah. It's kind, awesome. of, it's kind of known to be the go-to option because of what you mentioned, the dispersion characteristic of it. So. Well, and I think it makes sense because you have – this problem, which is you're trying to fill up space in a wide way, and you've only got a single source right. to do that. And every manufacturer has to solve this you know, problem. And so it's like to be able to do that in such a clean and such an, an accurate way is one of those things that is so hard to do um, but without spending – ungodly amounts of money. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, if I had a $7 million budget, we could do whatever you want. It's like, well, of course. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Uh, all right. So uh, one of the things I love about uh, what you guys do in the theater space is that you have made sure that not only is Dolby using those, but you guys are also THX certified. So tell me a little bit about why THX and what was kind of the thought process there. Um and uh, Mark, could you just tell me what does THX stand for? Oh, you're gonna throw me out. You're gonna throw that out there to me. Uh, it stands for I have no idea off the top of my head. Tom Holman Experience. Yes. Hey, look yeah. at that! Yes. You guys are way better <laughs> at this job than I am. So why I know, did... I know the sound it makes. <laughs> yes. I love that sound. I've watched Star Wars. Yeah, there you go. It's like those videos you see. What what sound do all men love? The THX sound. The THX sound. (laughs) Exactly. So good. So why we chose THX? Uh, Frankly, it's it's a hard test, right? It's a gauntlet of a test that you have to go through as a manufacturer to be able to pass and reach certain heights of THX certification. Um, There's other ones out there, but I don't know if they're as stringent, so to speak, as, as, as THX is. And so... It's just kind of a, it's a way to solidify the performance of what we're doing and what we're making is getting that THX certification done. And from a perspective of, I'm not sure if you should, I'm aware of this, it, it's, it's not cheap to get something THX no. certified. And if you fail, it's not like, hey, you get three tries and you get to go again afterwards. You get one shot. And if you don't pass that THX certification, it, it's, it's, it's the whole process over again. It's the same, invest, you know, whole another investment that you have to make into it. But um, I... I would like to think from an engineering standpoint, you know, that the, the folks over at the UK are engineering these products. When they know that a THX certification is coming down the line for the product, there's a little bit more thought and detail, poignant planning that goes into a product uh, just to make sure that it passes THX certification the first time mm-hmm. when it goes through. So, Well, and I like the fact, too, that you have THX certified speakers at accessible price points. Correct. And that to me, because like, you know, we made the joke, yeah, if I got $7 million to spend, great. But what if I've only got seven grand? Right. What if I've only got, you know, it, may, maybe ha- even half that? It's like, you might get pretty close, quite frankly, with where some of the price points are today that you could actually do a 5.1 with THX certified uh, equipment and, you know, not have to break the bank. Correct. And so you're getting that reference level of quality yep. without having to, you know, pony up 
So let's say uh, we want to design a uh, 5.1.2. I know this is something that Mark has talked about a ton is like get those last two Atmos speakers, do it right, you sure. know, even from an entry-level perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so what uh, what would be some of the options that uh, you would take us to from KEF um, on an entry-level perspective, you know? I think the bread and butter for what we do uh, from an in-wall perspective is probably our 3160 RL THX in-wall speakers at $2,000 a piece. I mean, it is the equivalent of our traditional R7 tower speaker in the wall. Um, Plenty of bass output, absolutely fantastic dispersion. Um, They have a different look to them too than a traditional in-wall speaker. So whether you're using it with the grill or without the grill, I think aesthetically it looks really, really good in the room too on that. Five of those around a room, uh, I mean, really even larger rooms, it's going to be able to pressurize it and give it the kind of performance that you're looking for. I would say probably for our Atmos then, because we always kind of like to match the same series, our 200RRTHX uh, Atmos speakers. Yep. Again, anything that I referenced as it relates to those end walls, the, the 200RRs do that too as well. Pair that off or round it off with a KF92, our, our force-canceling dual 9-inch subwoofer. And, and frankly, that's a heck of a system for, for most anyone uh, in the room. I, uh, I like the fact that you went there because – there's this idea that I think that we've kind of harped on in design, which is to take a long-term view, Yep. right? And so there's this concept of like, you know, why would I spend X on such and such? And it's like, well, yeah, if you buy a mechanically driven technology, going back to our previous episode, and I've got a 10-year, 15-year lifespan on that product, then you know what? Like, if you do the fast math, that's 10 grand, right? right. But mm-hmm. over 10 years... It's $1,000 a year on a phenomenal system that you're going to use every single weekend, every single evening, right? And it's like, why wouldn't I just do a little more? Like, I'm not going that much further down the rabbit trail to get to that correct experience level. And, and the beauty of audio systems, unlike anything else that's high performance, right, is that you can go piece by piece. You can start off with just a pair of speakers in the front and then add in a center channel or add a subwoofer and kind of grow into it as – as time and finances allow you to do it, right? I mean, we don't have that benefit with a with a brand new Mustang, right? It's not like we can buy the wheels first and then I'll get the transmission on the next bonus check, right? I can't enjoy it. It's just sitting in the garage at that point. Yeah, right. Um, and a lot of times I think clients will, is if they start off with just a pair of stereo speakers, sometimes they don't grow or expand from there. They realize, hey, I invested good money into this. And frankly, I'm satisfied with what I have here, right? Mm-hmm. So- Always, always, you know, option is there to be able to kind of grow into the system versus throwing everything at it at one time. So, Yep. Well, and uh, I love the fact that you said, you know, be satisfied with stereo because if you were to go to my living room right now, (laughs) you would see a pair of speakers. Um, And uh, I also really like the fact that you called up the uh, KF92 because I have one sitting right over there and it sounds so good. Uh, It was the best sub, quite honestly. Um, so I'm really, really, really happy with that piece. Uh, all right. So we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, surround sound rooms. And, you know, we sort of touched a little bit on uh, the hi-fi side of things. Um, we talked a little bit about blades. Could you maybe take us um, into a little bit of a sidestep? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you pair with a pair, a set of blades? What are some of the things that you're seeing people do 
And I'm not necessarily trying to take uh, a, a focus off, but rather to say, like, how do you like to see that system supported? Big power. Blades Blades love power. Um, you know, there's some great brands out there that make some 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 larger amplifiers. Um, you know, we have a tendency of, you know, seeing Blades a lot of times on Levinson. We love the sound of Levinson with Blades. Um, we've seen it, obviously, with Macintosh, too, as well um, on Blades. Uh, Paradigm is what we use um, at our facilities in Jersey on, on Blades, and it sounds really good, too. But that's one spot that you don't want to kind of chintz out with Blade. You want to be able to give it the ample power that you need to really kind of get all those drivers moving and get the air moving within that that space there. Um, blades are a bit of a Swiss army knife. They're not so specific in the way that they're kind of designed and how they sound that, that they really sound good in any room, right? So obviously things like acoustic treatments and things like that are going to come into play to be able to kind of help out the sound quality of the blade. But the key for blades is, is ample power. Yep. And that's part of the reason why I asked is because it's like, we have this design conversation a, a couple years ago, uh, me and another guy that we yep. work with. And it was one of those things where we said, if you spend double on power, what you do on your speakers, you know, you've kind of hit a cutoff. And so at a $30,000 set of speakers, right, give or take a few thousand bucks, you're saying, I could spend up to 50 grand in power yes. in order to correctly drive those things. And that seems, I think, really counterintuitive. And that's why I'm trying to bring up the point, like, you need to think about your whole system and how you're going to design those components to work uh, together to make a cohesive whole. And that's part of the reason why you can get two speakers to do everything that you want them to do and Correct. have amazing quality. Um, so uh, what else uh, do you guys do? Um from a design perspective, you mentioned earlier uh, Meta Material. Um, what was the big innovation behind Meta? Because I'm going to be honest, I already liked your speakers, and then I liked your speakers a lot more. <laughs> and I, it was kind of in a surprising way. We'll just say it that way. Sure. Well, I mean, the birth of Meta Material really kind of started with knowing that there was an innate problem that's in in all speakers, right? That as sound fires forward from the front of the driver, as that driver comes back to rest or moves into the cabinet, it's the movement of air, which we all know sound at the end of the day is simply some movement of air. That's how sound is created. Well, that resonance would happen within the cabinet itself, right? Which is not good overall. Mm -hmm. And so there's been tons of different technologies, whether it be wadding. Um, we used to use this kind of a tube system that went off of the back of the tweeter to kind of help eliminate some of that back wave resonance that you got. From that, um, other manufacturers do things like tapering tubes and so forth. And all of those have been relatively efficient up to this point to about 70% of eliminating that back wave resonance. Um, I, I, I've got to give kudos to our current head of acoustic engineering, which is Dr. Jack Ockley-Brown, a uh, younger individual, uh, worked with Keth forever. I think he was an intern as he was going through what the, what the British call uni or what we call college here. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was an intern with Keth and... Uh, found this material, which um, the material itself has been used for, for other things. It's normally wrapped around things like uh, commercial uh, air conditioners, generators, things of that note to kind of quiet them down. But he said, hey, what if I take this material and I put it on the back of the, the UniQ driver and try to see how that helps eliminate you know some of the back wave resonance coming off the tweeter? Well, long story short, it was very efficient, up to the tune of 99.8% efficient of eliminating that back wave resonance on it. So okay. when I talk That's to, awesome. when, when I talk to, uh, I guess, a, a layman in the audio world, it's it's like having 
a perfectly acoustically treated room inside of the speaker is what it is on that. Eliminating uh, I got that's, it. That's, so. that's an awesome way to describe it. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense because the thing that was so surprising is that when I first heard the speakers, I'm going, man, those things are really quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everybody goes, why would you want a quiet speaker? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not that the sound that's coming off the speaker is quiet. It's that the noise that would have otherwise been there Correct. is now gone. <laughs> you know, you make a great point because the first time I heard Meta, uh, I think I was with Parker, one of my coworkers out of the Chicago area there, and I'm like, I don't know if I like this because I've never been used to it before. Yep. And I'm like, it's just, it's a, it just feels lacking of something. And then it took me a while and just kind of listening to it goes, oh, well, that's not what you're supposed to hear, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's gone now, but I've been so used to hearing it for so many years. Uh, but now I absolutely love it. I, I tell people all the time that that quietness is good in the same sense of a, you know, cold cabin in the middle of the woods next to a fireplace reading a book. It's that kind of quiet. It's intimate, warm, you know, so. It, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, the principle goes beyond just cabinets and it goes into rooms. Like, that's why I love that. And we were just at um, – uh, or I was just, excuse me, at uh, at GE. I know this is going to sound really weird. I was doing an appliance training, believe it or not. And wow. they have an acoustic I, – listen, I know. Yep. Uh, but they have an anechoic chamber. Yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because that chamber is – if you've never been in one, can be very uncomfortable. Sure, because you're so used to hearing the sound of the room, the sound of the air conditioner, you know, air, air conditioner in the fridge, and all, all these other things that just create that bed of white noise that when it's gone, you're like, oh, this is very different. This is – Correct. It's cool, but you do need to kind of get used to it the first time. And right. then you start to realize how much better it Correct. is. So, yeah, yeah. And it still blows my mind when you sent me those pictures that <laughs> an appliance manufacturer has an anechoic chamber to test how loud their appliances are. Well, it, uh, it's, and that's that's incredible to me, you know, <laughs> to that point. So it's interesting. I was uh, I had an opportunity to kind of look through some calf history and look at Dr. Jack Ockley Brown and what he's done. And he graduated from Southampton University. And so I look at this prestigious university in England and, you know, acoustical engineering and you know, who graduates from there and who who essentially hires people, graduates from there. And I'm looking through the list, and Kef, obviously, Cambridge Audio, that makes sense. And then Dyson, I'm like, why is Dyson hiring acoustical <laughs> engineers? And then to your point, it occurred to me, it's like, oh, because you want to make the, the vacuum as quiet as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just something that we don't think about often. Well, yeah. and, and that's the thing I love about audio is that it's such a rabbit trail of a thing. Like, And I tell people, like, I've been playing the piano since I've been seven, and so I've been doing things now like 30 years and I'm still nowhere close to the bottom. <laughs> like there's guys out there that are like way over there that yep. still do amazing work mm-hmm. um, and have done so for a really long time. So right. you mentioned the history. Um, what is it uh, about uh, Kef and kind of where you guys came from that really allowed you to be so successful? Because like if I look at some of the things on your resume, like there's some amazing amazing achievements that you guys have. I I think from the get-go with Raymond Cook, the founder of our company back in 1961, is that when he was making speakers, his goal was to make something that sounds like flesh and blood and not nuts and bolts, to really try to to mimic the human voice or natural instrumentation, all of that, right? There's some great speakers out there that are 
100% necessary for for the use that they were used for, right? If you're mastering or, or mixing and you need all of that kind of small detail and information, that's important to have a speaker that's able to go ahead and depict that. But for us, for Kef, it's always been about real life, right? We understand the importance of when listening to music or listening to a movie that the whole goal of it is to, frankly, escape, to step away from whatever you're doing at that moment not worrying about the mortgage or the leak in the garage or the kids acting up in school and to be transposed to someplace different, right? To be at that first concert when you were 16, you know, or, or to be on the battlefield with Black Panther and Wakanda fighting against, you know, Thanos, right? To, to just kind of disconnect from the world. So that's always been the goal. It's not to be necessarily the most informative, but to necessarily to try to be the most lifelike overall. <laughs> Uh, I love the fact that you said it that way, and it's kind of unfair even to your own brand, and I'm going to throw you under the bus because yeah. you guys have all the detail too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all of the things that you would need to mix, uh, it's all there. I mean, I had a conversation with a guy who owns a recording studio here in town, and uh, he was going back and forth between another manufacturer who I won't uh, mention and a set of LS50 wireless. Sure. And quite honestly, we ended up doing a set of those for his near field monitors because yep. he was like, they give me everything I need in order to make accurate decisions. Yep. Like he had to get used to them a little bit. They weren't the same that he had before, but like those are perfect studio monitors. 100%. Like, yeah. And I, I used them myself for many years. I had a set of the Nocturnes, which uh, we can't see, but maybe I'll bring them out. Those were such a cool set. Oh, my Love goodness. Them. They're yeah. so good. <laughs> so good. Uh, I'll, we'll move the camera to them here in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I know I mentioned it in, my, uh, in previous episodes, but my favorite pair of speakers to listen to music on are my LS50 Metas. Yep. Like, they are... You, you you brought it up earlier, like just the sound of the speaker itself being so quiet. I live in a townhome, so I can't, you know, blast those speakers. I can turn it to a comfortable volume and really get all the detail that I want. Um, so it, it, it's just for me, uh, I don't want to listen to any other speakers when listening to music. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, you've given us some phenomenal history and some great insight on some of the technology um, you mentioned something that I kind of want to go back to because sure. it's something I think a lot of people do, but it gets glossed over because so many people do it, um, which is that a lot of the reference series, those blades, those are made by hand. And yeah. I saw a, a documentary on, uh, on the manufacturing process, and I saw something amazing, which is the same guy – who makes the left also makes the right. That's correct. And so, uh, and people don't really know this, but this is a pair of Shep's microphones, and that's the matched set. And the serial number is like right there. That's and awesome. I bring it up to say, like, it's one of those things that you don't realize that people do. And so, talk to me about like why that's so important uh, in a manufacturing process. Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is pride and craftsmanship, right? That individual, and at, at one point we only had two, but, you know, we've just continued to grow and grow and grow. That That's actually expanded out, I think, almost to six people now, who, by the way, have to go through a, a nine-month training to be a qualified or certified person to be able to hand-build things like blades and reference. So, Wow. Wow. Um, but it's just the pride. I mean, uh, pride of building, right? The handcrafting of that product. Every every blade of reference that you receive, you'll literally get what we call a birth certificate within it that shows you 
who made it, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and funny enough, one of the guys is Mark and another one is named Dave, right? Uh, <laughs> who do that. But what's even more interesting is that uh, as Meta came out, there was a lot of retail stores that had prior versions of the Blade that we in the field had to go out and, and kind of upgrade to the new Meta. I could take off a driver and look at the inside of a Blade and go, yep, that's Mark. There's little nuances <laughs> and tendencies to how they do things, whether it be you know length of cables or things like that inside of it. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's awesome, right? There's only a handful of guys in that you know are making your product for you. And for when you talk about something like a blade, which at US retails 35,000 for the pair, there's a certain sense of uh, exclusivity, knowing that you have one individual of master craftsman in the UK making that product for you, so. Well, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, we talked about uh, technology principles on a previous episode and that Mm -hmm. principle of specialization. Yeah, correct. The idea that I only want one guy to do this one thing the absolute best way that he can, like, and to think like nine months after you get hired in at a company, and I'm sure that they probably have to work for the company for an extended period of time before you even go to school, before you're allowed to even hit the floor to make something like that's just absolutely wild to me. Absolutely wild. It's like, you guys need your own school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd do it. That'd be fun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right. Well, uh, we've talked uh, quite a bit about uh, Kef, and so I want to kind of shift directions uh, into the video game world. Okay. All right. Oh. So the reason for this is that a lot of people love music. A lot of people love uh, movies, but video games is one of those things I think a lot of folks and our generation, quite honestly, enjoy that some of the older generation didn't grow up with. Sure. And some play, but not everybody. And uh, I think it's quite honestly become a bigger thing now than it has ever been, and it continues to grow. Um, and so I know you're an avid gamer. I am. Could you tell me a little bit about how you enjoy games that's a little bit different than uh, maybe the traditional Call of Duties? And Sure. <laughs> Uh, so I'm almost near 40, right? Born in the eighties, kid of the nineties. And what I collect for is specifically retro video games, Sega Genesis being the one thing that I'm collecting for, uh, right now, but I'm a nostalgia gamer. I like the, you know, the old school classics with the cartridge that you put into the system. I've got a 32 inch Sony tube TV at home and, (laughs) and, uh, that's how I like to game. And it's interesting, right? I was thinking about this on the drive here. We talked about kind of the escapism for audio and why audio is so important, why people invest money into audio. Video games has the same tie-in, right? For me, it's it's the opportunity to kind of go back to an earlier time where I'm not worried about which school is the baby going to go to or <laughs> the mortgage payment coming up. I can think back to the times where my hardest decisions in lives were what movie should I rent at Blockbuster and what what toppings do I want on my pizza, right? <laughs> and so yeah. so that for me is is another way to kind of disconnect from the world today in, in retro video games and how really it, it aligns just the same with audio, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you took it that direction, man, because – it, that's that's the whole point. If I play Call of Duty, if I play Sega Genesis, if I play whatever it is, I want my experience to be my experience. Right. It's like the correct expression of selfishness, if I can say it that <laughs> yeah, way. That's, that's, no. that's a perfect description. It's like, perfect, yeah. There's no reason to not go ahead and just enjoy that moment because that's, excuse me, that's why you've worked for the whole week. Right. That's why you've done all those things is to enjoy that those those couple hours Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can kind of have your space and do your thing. Um, that's really, really awesome. So any uh, 
Any recent finds that were especially cool? Oh, gosh. Well, I've gone down the rabbit hole of really trying to complete the full North American set of Sega Genesis, which, for those of you who don't know, there's over 800-plus games that got released in the U.S. for for Sega Genesis. Um, I'm at, I think, about 340 games total right now. Um, Holy smokes. I, I, I get pickups almost every week honestly it's hard to kind of keep track it's it's relatively well curated within the room i have a whole dedicated room for it you know what's funny is <laughs> as trying to collect the entire set i still keep going back to the same staples that i played as a child mm-hmm. right your sonic the hedgehogs your streets of rage your shinobi those kind of things <laughs> yep um I think more so collecting for the whole set is to watch somebody's reaction when they walk into the room and go you ever see this before? And they go, oh, my gosh, I haven't thought about this in 20 years. <laughs> I played this. I played this. Yep. And, again, to be full circle as it relates to audio, right, it's kind of the same thing that we do for, for speakers too, right? If if you have somebody in your home who's never experienced really hi-fi audio, what's the first thing that you do is you go, oh, you you have to sit, sit, sit. You have to listen to this, right? <laughs> it's the same thing in that gaming room. Yep. It's just introducing somebody and giving them – being the first one that provides them that experience that they haven't had before, so – Yep. Yep. My brother, my brother, uh, he's, you know, just kind of dabbling into this industry a little yeah. bit. And, uh, every time he comes over to the house now, I will play him a demo Yep. just so he can know like, Hey, this is, this is the sound that you can get. And honestly, I ended up letting him borrow a set of speakers right. because I have too many speakers. And he now has a movie night that he has with a, another friend that, uh, if he didn't have those speakers, that movie night would not be movie night. Like right. that's what he told me. He's like, it's completely changed just how I spend my Saturday nights that's watching awesome. these movies. So, um, you know, as far as the gaming aspect goes, I'm right there with you. Like I, I do play a lot of the newer stuff. You know, I've got a lot of friends all over the U.S. and online gaming has been Huge. great for being able to hang out with those folks on a regular basis. Even though when I can't, I can't physically see them. Right, but. Um, for me, uh, the nostalgia is there. My grandmother actually bought me my first Super Nintendo and had an NES. She got an NES for herself from my grandfather for Christmas. I actually just watched the the tape a few weeks ago visiting home. Um, and I didn't know that she bought it for herself. I thought that (laughs) it was ours or she bought it for us. She bought it for her. So my brother and I make it a point anytime that my family's in town that we'll play through Super Mario 3. Yeah, because that's awesome. because that was what my we used to play with my grandmother like, yep. and she would she would, she was the player that would you know you're running along and she would lift the controller to jump <laughs> over the so uh, yeah I mean it's it's definitely there for me too um, I don't have quite the collection you do but uh, you don't want it it's it's very time consuming <laughs> uh, I, I, my physical media is getting getting to me at this point it's, it, and I don't know where I would put any type of video game cartridges on top of what I already have right, so sure yep well and I think it, you know you you talk about the collection aspect of it and it's one of those things where I've seen it now for uh, many, many years. You go to somebody's house and they say, you know, I've got a listening room or I've got a a dedicated space. And, of course, what do you see on the wall is a huge vinyl collection or a huge CD collection. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, hearing the conversation essentially like if you've spent thirty or $40,000 on a collection, right, of music – why would you not invest the same amount of money 
into the playback system. 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, and we don't think about dollars and cents always the same way. A lot of times it's like this concept of gear versus like this versus that. And, you know, do I do this or do I do uh, – and I get that. And, you know, is it worth the money and all this? But at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, but you're talking about a technology that has such a long lifespan. Right. That you're going back to it saying maybe we should really start juxtaposing – what we're doing with the investment, right. what that experience is worth. You know, if you want to go travel the world, you know, you want to go to Europe. I mean, what is that? Eight, ten, fifteen thousand dollars? Easily. Yeah. Right? And you're there for a week, let's just say, and then you're done. You got some pictures and and you come home. And there's value there. But why wouldn't I also want to be able to hear every musician from that country for the next 10 years whenever I want? Correct. You know, it's interesting, to your point, I look at that, that thought process as it relates to the gaming world, and there's two different kind of camps, so to speak, right? So there's people who spend a lot of money on really high-tech OLED displays. There's clone systems that they make now that are, you know, $500, $600 um, that do incredible things with upscaling and things of that nature. And so there is that modern gamer, and then on the opposite, you know, who's looking for performance visually, so to speak. And then there's the nostalgia guy like me who's happy to have, you know, a 480i7, you know, 480i tube TV <laughs> and the original console. It just depends on what you're going for. But yes, I, I 100% agree. And what's interesting is that across both sectors, so to speak, at least I noticed from the gaming community, there isn't a ton of money being spent on audio, it, with the exception of headphones. Mm-hmm. You know, gaming headsets today, I think Audis now has a pair of gaming headphones out that are $1,500 for the pair that, mm-hmm. as I understand, are doing pretty well. Um, but it's quite often when I'm watching YouTube videos or Twitch streamers or things of that nature, I don't see a lot of near field systems in these videos. And it's, it's, I think it's an opportunity for the industry altogether is mm-hmm. to kind of reach out to these gamers and go, Hey, yes, your turtle beaches, your oddies, whatever headphones you're wearing are awesome. But have you ever heard or played call of duty on a pair of high quality, capable bookshelf speakers? Right. And so I think it's an opportunity for, for really, frankly, all of us to introduce them. And, to that. and I'm not going to boast, but I literally had that conversation with one of my oldest clients. Yeah. I've known this guy for the better part of nine years. And we've got a great surround sound system we've already done. We've got a great bedroom system. He's building a gaming rig. And we're having that conversation like, so what do I do for sound? Right. Because I want something good. And you know where we ended up is LSX2. Yeah. To great be quite honest. For that. Like. Yeah. And we're looking at the the price points, and we talked about this. We're going, but to get a smooth, awesome, clean sound, something that can bring me into that experience. You know, if I want to pair it with a sub, I can to get some of that low-end rumble. But he's not going to do that because he's in a smaller space, very similar to you, Mark, where it's like, yeah, I don't really have the ability to blast this. I don't need volume. But I do need detail, right? right? And that's what those are gonna are gonna do. Yep. Um, and I mean, literally yesterday, that was the conversation. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that, that was what I first used um, before I got the meta, the LS50 metas. Is I had LSX twos uh, for gaming when I'm not using headphones and chatting. When I'm doing a single player experience, like I really wanted to get that detail. I mean, they're sitting right in front of me on the desk, but I could hear as if I had a full surround sound system right in front of me. So it was, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, a lot of gamers just almost assume there's nothing else other than headphones. When I'm gaming, I wear headphones or I listen to the terrible TV speaker. So then what do I do? I just listen to headphones. It's, it's, 
it's like an aha moment where you're like, well, you can get speakers for that. And they're like, what? How, how's that work? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you don't want to wear your headphones and still hear, you know, the sniper creeping around the corner in Call of Duty, you have that detail and capability with a with a capable pair of speakers. So, yeah. yep, for sure. Well, uh, so I know you guys had made some headphones in the past. Do you still currently make uh, any headphones? We do. Uh, we make Mu threes or Mu sevens. We have a handful of headphones. It's they're good. They're certainly good. Um, the headphone market is so saturated. It and really so, is. You know, as an audio brand, obviously we, we try to do our best and play ball, so to speak. But there is some monster companies out there that do headphones. So though it isn't necessarily a, a, the biggest focus for us, we do have a few offerings on that. Well, I've got a set of uh, of, of those uh, true wireless ones. Yep. And uh, quite honestly, that's what I listen to uh, when I'm falling asleep. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, they are uh, to your point. I'm sure there's there might be some other companies to consider, but they're not slouches. No, so. no. Again, Caps Engineering, right? Anything that we do, we we make it with intent for it to be really, really good for the price point and have very accurate sound. It's just sometimes we can't, you know, take all the engineering guys away from whatever projects they're working on to do headphones. Because we are first and foremost a speaker company first. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, why don't we do a segment? Okay. All right, we're going to do a segment. <laughs> I like segments, <laughs> and uh, we've been talking on the uh, show quite a bit recently about demo tracks, uh, and I just I can't pass up this opportunity to ask uh, from a guy who's done this for a very very long time <laughs> um, and has probably some different tracks than what I like and different than what Mark likes. Um, so what are a couple of, uh, demo tracks that, uh, you think we should be, uh, listening to? Oh, there's so many good ones. Um, before I give a few tracks, can I give a word of advice for those who are out there doing demos? Absolutely. Uh, young in my career, uh, selling hi-fi, you know, uh, I used to have what a, a go-to demo track, right? The same song that I would use on any speaker, regardless of what I'm playing, whether it was a satellite bookshelf tower whether it was something ultra luxury and expensive, it was the same track I played over and over again. That thought process is incorrect, right? Okay. And, and I'll tell you why. How do you differentiate the capability of a $35,000 pair of speakers versus a $350 pair of speakers if ultimately both of those can kind of do the same track or your go-to track relatively well, right? You have to throw things at it that's really gonna show not only the capability of the more expensive item, but also how the lesser expensive item is just not able to do it. So um, you should have a large repertoire of demos um, across all genres, across all products that you sell, right? The, whether you're selling a Kef or a different brand, there should be certain tracks that you play for XYZ product for Kef, right? It should be that specific. So uh, the demos I'm gonna play and give you right now that I've been playing recently um, work well on certain products that we make and other ones, uh, don't so, but just things that I generally like to play right now. Um, there's an Austin band by the name of Polyphia. Um, if I'm not sure if either one of you have heard of them yet, um, I have not. Uh, they there's no lyrics at all, there's no singing, and it is just prolific guitar playing and kind of a metal meets EDM style, but very well recorded. Uh, and most of their songs are like. Uh, going through a journey, like reading a graphic novel of sorts. And so there's a track from them called Playing God that is absolutely fantastic that I like to do. Um, another artist that I like to play a lot right now is a Polish guitarist by the name of Marcin. If you yes. Listen, I love have... Marcin. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, these, I say kids. Can I say kids? I'm yes, 40. they're kids. I can say kids. Kids. <laughs> these kids coming up with these guitars, whether it's just, you know, more opportunity to sit in a quiet room and play it through all the things that have happened, you know, throughout the past couple of years. But they are, they are skilled like I haven't seen before. And Marson's one of them. He's in his 20s. Um, he uses the entire body of this acoustic guitar for all the progressive elements of what he plays. I mean, whether it's tapping, knocking, I mean, there's a, there's a track from him, uh, which is a cover of Zeppelin's Cashmere that he does that is fantastic. But during the song, I can't even imagine being able to do this. He literally reaches up onto the tuning pegs, detunes a note as he's playing it and puts it right back into tune and continue playing. It's like, He's got more capability in his pinky finger playing the guitar with where I can, I, can I, I don't think I'd ever get there. Um, more on the kind of R&B and bluesy side, um, PJ Morton is another artist that I'm listening to. Um, he just recently did a live studio album. Um, he's got a great track with, uh, with a female artist who I actually saw here in Nashville for the first time at Bridgestone Arena. Her name is Yeba. Um, but they do a cover of How Deep Is Your Love. Oh, it's a great tune. Oh, it's such a it's such a chill kind of vibe to it. Wonderfully recorded. Listening to a lot of that at the moment too. So, if I had to give one more, kind of in that same vein, Leon Bridges. If you haven't listened to him, uh, uh, another newer, younger artist who's got that kind of older soul vibe of uh, Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. So, you know, call me old fashioned, but these new artists coming out that sound like something nostalgic and something of the past yep. is kind of what I'm, I'm leaning towards. So lots of good stuff out there right now. That is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Awesome, That's great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for sharing. And uh, Dave, thank you so much for being My with pleasure, us gentlemen. and yes. uh, yeah. being our very first guest hey. on our yeah. very first video podcast. Um, I just, we're so honored to have you with us, and uh, it's been an absolute joy and an absolute pleasure. So thank you, sir. And, and it's thank been you. my pleasure. I, you, seeing what you guys have done so far and where this has come to, um, yeah, just happy to be here. So, <laughs> uh, I'd like to just say thank you to everybody who uh, has been watching and listening. Um, please uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends. Um, if uh, you guys want to hear us talk about something specific or if you have questions, please reach out to us at thesounddesign.com. Um, and uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.